Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well this morning. I wish I could be there. The last two weeks have been really hard not being able to be there. I don't know very many preachers, if any, throughout church history who started their first Sunday and then couldn't be there the next two because they were exposed to a virus. That's just the world that we live in. Um, but it did get me thinking. As we, as a faith family, embark on a journey of extreme prayer together, learning to pray in extreme ways, learning to pray bold prayers, essentially what we're asking is for God to open up the heavens and for him to unleash his power on his people. And so when we pray that way, it's not unlikely that we're going to face spiritual opposition. And it's no coincidence that right now we're under spiritual attack. The devil does not want us to further God's kingdom. The devil does not want us to uh, share the love of Christ and be the light of the world. The, the devil of all people, of all entities, the devil does not want us to succeed. And so it's not a coincidence at all that he's trying to block us from accomplishing the will of God. And so all the more reason to pray towards that and to pray towards God helping us using us powerfully to further his kingdom in the city of McKinney, in our own neighborhoods, in our own circle of influences. And so I think it's important for us to be mindful of the fact that there is an unseen spiritual realm in our world that exists where a spiritual battle is happening. And so we need to do exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God and stand in the strength of the Lord and in his mighty power. Because without the power of the Lord and in his strength, we will fail miserably against a very powerful enemy, the devil. And so I just want to encourage all of us to be reading Ephesians 6 on a regular basis. Be praying Ephesians 6 on a regular basis, putting on the full armor of God so that we can be ready to stand against the devil's schemes. And so myself i'm memorizing ephesians 6 verses 10 through 20 and i just want to encourage you to do the same let's do that together as we embark on this extreme prayer journey together which by the way if you are maybe this is your first time you've been to hillcrest in a while or your guest ask somebody for a copy of this book we have these specifically for you and also i want to remind you guys that next sunday the author of this book greg pruitt will be at the church preaching on extreme prayer. And so you don't wanna miss this. I wanna encourage you to invite people to come, especially if you know people who are a part of another church and maybe their church closed, invite them next week because it's gonna be amazing, it's gonna be powerful and hope to God that I am there. <laughs> I'm expecting to be there. If you have your Bible, I wanna encourage you to open it to Acts 1. We're just gonna kind of flip through the early chapters of Acts this morning because I want us to see the early church, I believe they were so successful. I mean, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, but you know what? We are filled with the Holy Spirit and it's not a different Holy Spirit. It's the exact same Holy Spirit. God is placed in us like the, the power of the living God indwells us through his spirit, just like the early church. But the early church set themselves apart in a very obvious and clear way and that they were devoted to prayer. The early church was devoted to prayer. And we're going to see that this morning. And that's my prayer for us at Hillcrest, 
is that we would be a church, a faith family devoted to prayer. And so I, I know many of you know my story and how I came to Christ, how I became a Christian. But what you probably don't know about me is before I ever became a Christian, I had dreams and hopes of being an actor. I was going to pack my bags, hop in my car, and drive to Los Angeles, California to be a blockbuster movie star just like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And I even had dreams of winning an Oscar. I mean, if you're going to dream, you might as well dream big. You might as well aim high. And so even after becoming a Christian, like right leading up to becoming a Christian, I wanted to move to LA. I wanted to become an actor. After becoming a Christian, a few months into following Jesus, I realized, you know, if I really want to honor God with my life, the more I follow Jesus and the more I read his word and I wanted to, you know, do what his word said, I, I thought to myself, I probably shouldn't or can't move to LA and, and be the movie star that I want to be and still honor God faithfully with my life. But I did start to think, well, maybe I can become a Christian actor and I could just do like faith-based films and I won't be rich or I won't, <laughs> I won't become a movie star, but you know, I'll be able to become friends with people like Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> he was in Hercules in the 90s, incredible show. But it, the more I followed Jesus, the more I read God's word, the more I surrounded myself with other believers and I went to church, got involved in small groups, uh, the more I realized that it was less about what I wanted for my own life and more about what God wanted for my life. What does God's word say in terms of how we live as Christians? And and the more I started to follow Jesus, the more I started to read his word, the more God began to change my desires. And my desire to be an actor just kind of started to fade away. And my affections for Christ grew. And when my affections for Christ grew, my desires began to change. And the desires that God has for his people, for me, for his followers, he begins to change our desires where our desires begin to align with his desires. And so looking at ministry and in life really from a pastor leader perspective in this position that I'm in it's very easy to jump into all right what strategies what organizing you know what different pathways for ministry or di discipleship should we be doing what kind of vision should we have what kind of resources can we tap into to move the mission forward to further God's kingdom and those aren't bad things to think about and those aren't bad questions to ask but this past week, I believe the Lord led me to this question that I want to ask for all of us. It's not, a, it's not a, a complex question. It's a very simple question, I think. I think the church, we can overly complicate this question. But the question is this. What does Jesus want to see happen in this church? I mean, that's what I want to be pursuing. Those are the things that I want to accomplish. That's what I want to care about. What is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who launched the church. What does Jesus want to see happen in our church here at Hillcrest? And so this morning, I want to exhort all of us to be obedient to God's word by being devoted to prayer. The Apostle Paul gives this command in Romans 12, verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Your translation might say constant in prayer, but the Greek word there is prosketereho or prosketerio. Maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but the Greek word means be devoted to. So be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, devoted to prayer. And there's a reason, I am not a Greek scholar, <laughs> but there's a reason why I'm giving you the Greek word and we're gonna come back to that here in a little bit. 
So as we look through the book of Acts, you're going to see just how devoted to prayer that the early church was. And this is what I want for us at Hillcrest. Like my prayer for all of us as a faith family is for our central command, our main ministry, to be devoted to prayer. Meaning everything that we do as a faith family would be an outpouring of our central command, our devotion to prayer. And so as we pray together these next few weeks, as we learn how to pray you know, in extreme ways, um, like Greg Pruitt teaches in his book and what God says in his word, be reminded of what Jesus says in John 14, verse 14. He says, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. The question is, will we be bold and ask? And Greg puts it this way in his book. He says, do we have the courage to ask him to unleash his power? Do we have the courage to ask him to unleash his power? Because here's what I've learned recently. The more we start praying towards that end for God to open up the heavens and unleash his power on his people, the more opposition we're going to face from the enemy. And so do we have the courage to pray the kinds of prayers where heaven invades earth, gets involved in our church community and in our community at large? Because things may get a little crazy, but God is going to move in powerful ways. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. The early church responded to Jesus's mission. You're going to see how they responded to Jesus's mission in the book of Acts, because it's the same mission that Jesus gives us. He says to his disciples the same thing he's saying to us. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And he gives us the same promise he gave them in Matthew 28. And behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. You know, sometimes I, I, th I feel like we look at the New Testament and the early church, and we think of the apostles or the disciples as superheroes with capes and superhuman strength, but that's not who they were. Acts 4 says that they were normal, ordinary, uneducated men, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, just like us. If you think about who the disciples were that Jesus chose, they were a fledgling group of believers, scared to death, gathered in a small upper room. They were rural, uneducated, common, lower-class Galileans, but God chose those ordinary people and accomplished extraordinary things. And so look what it says. Look how they responded when Jesus gave them that commission. Look how they responded after he ascended into heaven. Acts 1 verse 14, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were praying. That was their response. It was to pray. And God sent down his power on them. So that's Acts 1. Now you jump into Acts 2. Now they receive the Holy Spirit. A mighty wind comes. They all start speaking in tongues. Everybody thinks they're drunk, but it draws a crowd. And then Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. The same Peter who pulled out a sword and cut a guy's ear off. The same aggressive, argumentative Peter now stands up, but this time under the power of God. And Peter preaches the very first sermon in Christian history. 3,000 people believe in Jesus and are baptized. 3,000 people. And you know what they did after? They weren't jumping up and down, praising themselves, discussing how incredible and amazing they were. No. The very next thing, Acts 2, verse 42. This is what they did. This was their response to what God had done. 
They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. So that's Acts 2. Then you jump into Acts 3. John, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And they see a 40-year-old man who's been crippled his entire life. Never once has this man walked. So Peter and John, they speak the name of Jesus. And guess what? This man gets healed. And he starts walking for the very first time. But that's not it. Look what it says in Acts 3, verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this 40-year-old crippled man gets healed for the first time. He starts jumping up and down, praising God. Peter and John take that as an opportunity to start preaching the gospel. They're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then guess what happens? Well, they get thrown in jail. So now they're sitting in jail. They're overnight. Now the rulers and authorities and religious leaders approach Peter and John the next day. In Acts 4 verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? Peter and John, again, they're saying, you know what? It was Jesus of Nazareth. He is the living God. He rose from the dead. He's the only name under heaven for which man can be saved. And this is what it says in Acts 4. They looked at Peter and John saying, these are uneducated and common men or unschooled and ordinary men. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So did you hear that? The religious leaders, the crowds of people are not looking at Peter and John and their innate ability. They're looking at Peter and John thinking, okay, what happened through these men is something supernatural. It couldn't have possibly been their own doing. It had to have been something supernatural. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So who's getting the glory here? It's not Peter and John. It's God is getting the glory. And look what their response is. Look what their response is after their conversation with the religious leaders and the authorities. Acts 4 verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. In prayer to God. And then you jump down to verse 27. And this is them praying. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, whom you anointed. Verse 28, listen to this. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. It's interesting when you think about it. The disciples, as they're praying, it's clear in verse 28. They recognized everything happening around them was under God's sovereign control. Everything that had been occurring in their ministry and in their lives around them, their discussions with the religious leaders, everything happening was under God's control, including the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Everything was under God's authority. They recognized that. Nothing happening in their world, all the opposition that they were going to face, they knew this was a part of God's plan. All of those things, it never caught God off guard. He's never surprised by anything. Now, take it into our context, in our nation, in our day, in our world right now. So much is happening. We feel like the news is trying to control us and they're using scare tactics and trying to keep us in our homes and things of that nature. And there's so much uncertainty and unknown in our world still. Some people think that these are the last days. I heard a, a pastor, he was an American pastor, was talking to an African pastor over somewhere in Africa. And the American pastor said, man, these really do feel like they're the last days. And the African pastor responded for everything that he's seen and experienced. No, brother, these are the last hours. These are the last hours. Look, God is not surprised by anything happening in our world right now. He is not caught off guard. 
This is all a part of his plan. And this is an opportunity for God to use his church to further his kingdom, to share the love of Christ. And so we must be devoted to prayer, asking God to intercede on our behalf and help push that mission forward. And if you think about the church in Acts, the early church, all the opposition and persecution that they faced, all the uncertainty and unknown that they must have felt, they thought that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And look how they responded. They were devoted to prayer, sharing Christ every opportunity that they had. They prayed and God moved in power. Okay, so jump to Acts 6. They get distracted by various things, normal practical things I might add. And what's their response? We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word, verse 4 says. So these people approach the apostles and say, hey, look, Food distribution right now. Uh, some of the people aren't getting their food that, that they want, that they need. And the apostles are like, okay, okay, let's delegate that. But you guys take care of that. We're devoted to prayer. And the point is, and look at uh, verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Look, we are going to be distracted. We're going to get faced with all kinds of distractions. Think about it in this context, your quiet time with prayer. When you wake up in the morning and you... You grab your prayer guide uh, that we have at Hillcrest and, you know, maybe you grab extreme prayer or your Bible and you're praying. If you have your phone next to you, you are highly likely to get distracted. If you have an iPad or your TV's on or whatever, I get distracted all the time when my phone's right there. The idea is we have to prepare ourselves for that time, whatever that time is, that quiet time, so we don't get distracted. The disciples were clear look delegate that have somebody else take care of that well right now we're devoted to prayer and prayer and nothing else and look what happened the number of christians increased rapidly because they were so focused and so devoted on prayer so i gave you that uh greek word proskaterio earlier i want to come back to that mark 3 verse 9 you don't have to turn there but this is what it says because of the crowd he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him Okay, boat ready in verse 9 there. Mark 3, verse 9. Boat ready. Same Greek word, proskaterio, or proskaterejo, if you're a Greek scholar. <laughs> but boat ready there, it means devoted to. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, guys, get a boat ready in case these crowds start to just surround me so heavily that I need to find another place to be. They were devoted to the task Jesus gave them, devoted to, appointed Jesus appointed them to that task. Get a boat ready, devoted to that. And if we're going to have a quiet time, if we're going to have a prayer time, if we're going to find that time in our day to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to do incredible things through our lives in the church, we need to be devoted to that time. We need to set aside anything. If it's our phone, put it on silent. Put it in another room. Devote however much time you have to the task at hand, which is devoted to prayer. When you start to turn the pages in Acts, you see that Stephen, who was the first Christian to be martyred, he's preaching the gospel, he's doing miraculous signs and wonders, the Bible says, and then guess what? He's stoned to death. But what happens next? Acts 8, verse 1. Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And then Acts 8, verse 4. What were they doing after they got scattered? Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. In other words, even though Stephen was stoned to death, 
Even though the church got scattered, the gospel kept being preached. Even someone being stoned to death and the church being scattered and isolated, it didn't stop God's kingdom from moving forward. Skip down to the end of Acts chapter 8. Philip is somehow miraculously zapped to another place in time where he meets an Ethiopian man and he leads him to Christ. Now you move to Acts 9. Well, what happens in Acts 9? The violent, angry, persecutor, God-hater that, well, Jesus of Nazareth hater that the apostle Paul was, experiences Christ on the road to Damascus. He gets saved. He becomes who he is, the apostle Paul. Acts 10, Peter and Cornelius. They're both praying in different locations at the same time in different places and racial and ethnic barriers come crashing down. And then Acts 11, the church at Antioch is founded as the basis for missions to the whole entire world. Then in Acts 12, Peter is in prison. And look what it says in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly, what? Praying for him, or praying to God for him. By the way, so an angel of the Lord comes to Peter, slaps him on the head, wakes him up, helps him escape from prison, because <laughs> that's what angels do. But Peter was asleep. Like, this is just a reminder these guys were human beings. They were normal people operating under the extraordinary power of God. So the church prays together and Peter gets released from prison. And then you go to Acts 13. And guess what the church in Antioch is doing? They're praying. Acts 13 verse 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So after that prayer and fasting meeting, it ignited a movement that would take the gospel to what? The ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Prayer was central to how the early church operated. And I want prayer to be central at Hillcrest Christian Church, even more than an extreme prayer series, even more than a prayer room that we're going to create. I want prayer to be our central command station. The outpouring of all that we do at Hillcrest be through devotion, our devotion to prayer. And you know, we could go on and on through the rest of this book and see how God's power was unleashed through the prayers of his people. And you continue to see ordinary, normal human beings operating under extraordinary power from God. And that's what I want for us at Hillcrest, for God to accomplish extraordinary things through the life of our church. When people think of Hillcrest, I want them to think that is a church devoted to prayer. You mean that church that's in between Milestone Church and McKinney Bibles Church and, and the right down the street from that big Baptist church? You mean that, that church right there off Grave Street? Hillcrest, yeah. Man, no, that church, they're, they're devoted to prayer. Like they are crazy with prayer. They have a prayer room. They have all sorts of things set up. Like they are devoted to prayer. That's what I want people to think when they think of our church. And in the coming weeks, I want us not just to gather on Sunday, talk about prayer or whatever the next sermon series is going to be. I want us in the coming weeks to gather once or twice a week in the building where you guys are, I'm not there, and pray. Just have prayer meetings. We will pray all sorts of various things. What is God speaking into y'all's life? What is God saying to you through prayer, through his word? Let's pray about that. And let's let the power of God show up in a mighty way through our church. And so the prayer room, again, the prayer room is coming. And next week, 
Greg Pruitt is coming to preach on extreme prayer. Don't miss that. I encourage you to invite people to come to that because it's going to be awesome. So I want to close with this story. In this book, Extreme Prayer, Greg tells a story how he encountered, when he was in West Africa as a missionary, he encountered a man who was actually a Muslim man he, who taught the Quran. But when he went up to this man, this man came, leaned into, it's in the book, he leaned into Greg's ear and he whispered a Christian hymn. And this man said, many, many, many years before, that this Christian woman used to play this piano and sing these hymns. And he had still remembered them, so he whispers in this Christian hymn in Greg's ear. And it's funny, Greg's trying to, in the book, he's trying to figure out how in the world they got a piano over to West Africa in the 1950s. But immediately he, he was drawn back to the reality that is this. This Muslim man who is the teacher of the Quran whispers in his ear Christian hymns. And immediately Greg thought, you know what? God is working on this man's heart. And as I read that, I started to tear up because I believe God spoke to me and told me, Nate, there are people in McKinney, in your circle of influence, in your life, whom God is working on their hearts. And there are people in your life, in your circle of influence, in your neighborhood, and in the city at large of McKinney. 200,000 people live in McKinney. And there are not enough churches to receive all of those people. There is more than enough people. And right now, I believe the Lord is telling us, Hillcrest, that there is people in this city and in our neighborhoods whom God is working on their hearts. And Jeremiah 24, 7 says this, and this is a prayer that I want all of us to pray together for a long time. And I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with their whole heart. The Lord says, I will give them a heart to know me. Isn't it good that it's not up to you and your eloquence to try to convince people to come to Christ? It's the power of God that brings people to salvation unto Jesus. And so let's pray those prayers, church, together. Jeremiah 24, 7, and I will give them a heart to know me. That's our prayer together, that God would give people a heart to know him, that there are people in this city. God right now is working on their hearts. God, I pray, give them a heart to know you and use us by your grace, through your spirit to reach those who are without Christ. And the question is, what does Jesus want to see happen in our church? Guys, I love you. I can't wait to see you next week. I'm praying for you. Um, I appreciate you. And I'm looking forward to what's to come at Hillcrest Christian Church. See you guys later.